Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to my Millennial Money Express. I'm Glenn James. If you're new to the podcast, the Express podcast, this is a spin-off from the main My Millennial Money show. It's just usually me. It's just usually under 10, 15 minutes and we try and get to the point. Uh, speaking of getting to the point, if you've already got your plan sorted and you're on top of your goals, I'm about to talk about goals and the My Money Journal. So if you are on top of that stuff, click forward 30 seconds. If not, uh, I want you to consider purchasing the My Money Journal. There'll be a link in the show notes. It's a customized journal that the team has put together that will guide you through uh, setting goals, setting your priorities, letting you really decipher what you're actually good at. It will help with any mental roadblocks. It will do so much more. And it's the highest rated product that we've ever released across the podcasts, the YouTube stuff like webinars, um, the Facebook group, all of that stuff. We've got feedback from the first few hundred people that purchased it and they gave it 9.5 out of 10. Uh, It's printed and bound in Australia. It is a beautiful document if you are after getting your thoughts out of your head and onto paper. And I want to thank you for your support uh, if you're about to purchase that or if you already have. So you might have heard me talk about uh, my sound financial house before. And basically what that is, is picture a house and there's a slab and there's foundation. So some blocks that go into the dirt that hold the slab and then the house is built on top of that. I believe our sound financial house needs four foundations. One of them is to be cashed up and debt free. The second one is to have a spending plan in place or a budget. The third one is to have our personal insurances. And the fourth foundation is to have a will or an estate plan in place. So let's talk about being cashed up and debt free. The cashed up part is basically the emergency fund. Now you might call it a variety of things. You might call it the lifesaver fund, the, I don't know, the water tank, whatever you want to call it. It's just that money in case the crap hits the fan. So we're going to talk about that. So how much do you need in your emergency fund? Well, before I get into all this stuff, I want to first say, this is what I would say would be my uh, recommendations for best practice. Now, as an example for best practice, I go to the dentist, the dentist says, you need to floss after every meal, it's best practice. I go home, life's busy, I floss after my nightly brush before bed. So I only floss once a day, but I'm still flossing, right? Like flossing is better than not flossing at all. So treat this stuff as best practice and then take those best practices and adapt it to your own life and situation. So we generally say in the financial world, to have a bit of a cash reserve, you need to work out, if you're an employee, perhaps three months worth of expenses. 
So it's important to first work out what are expenses. I think for this operation with the emergency fund, it's easy to say what aren't expenses to be included in the emergency fund. We don't want to include savings. So if you're saving $200 a month, for example, that's $600 over three months, we're not included in the emergency fund. We're not including any additional debt repayments. We're not including any uh, money that you're putting to investments or to holidays or anything like that. It's literally just expenses. We're not including, you might have $100 a month for some weird luxury that is absolutely a luxury. So we're not including that. We're basically including rent, bills, food, transport, just living expenses. Because if it's an emergency, luxuries can take a backseat. If it's an emergency, my share investing plan can take a bit of a, a hold at the moment because we've got a crisis here. So we just wanna know if the worst case happened, we've got enough to survive for three months. So if you are an employee, stable income, we would say around three months worth of expenses only. If you're self-employed, you might wanna take that around the six months. Now, the Glen James Spending Plan, which a lot of you uh, use and follow, and thank you for that, uh, and there'll be a link in the notes, if you haven't already got that, it will actually tell you your targeted emergency fund. Now, I'm a bit pragmatic in the way I do things, so my spreadsheet might say, Glenn, you need $16,228 in your emergency fund. You might say, well, let's just call it 15 grand. Or if it says $8,000, you might go, oh, well, let's just round it off at 10. Whatever that is, be pragmatic and just know that you've got cash put aside for the long term. I think that covers how much we really need in an emergency fund. Also, if you've got six months worth of, like I, I've had clients in the past that have had six months worth of sick pay. So they might take the view that, well, we don't need a full 15 grand, but we might be comfortable in our own life just to have 10 grand, not if we're out of work, but just as a cash buffer in our life. So please hear me, best practice, three months worth of expenses for employed, up to six months worth of expenses for self-employed. I was talking with a listener the other day uh, in Finland, uh, and if you've got some weird scenario where you're from overseas or you've got family overseas, you might need to have an extra couple of grand for a flight if you'd need to go overseas. Or you might be comfortable to have that included in your emergency fund. I don't mind where you land, but I just want you to know that it's really great to have a cash reserve for emergencies in your life should the worst happen. So what is an emergency? Well, I believe an emergency is something that you don't ordinarily budget for month on month. So in my own life, I don't budget for a car insurance excess. I don't budget for emergency dental treatment. If I had an animal, I don't budget for emergency vet care, and we'll talk about that stuff soon. I don't budget in my house if my air conditioner dies or my fridge blows up or my hot water system blows up. So we don't budget for weird ad hoc emergencies that might only happen every six to eight years uh, because that would be tying up money in your life that I think would be wasted money to, to budget for everything possible. So an emergency is something that happens out of the blue. It could be you're laid off work. There's a medical incident. 
there is something that occurs that costs you a lump sum or you're being laid off work and your income stops. And we will talk a little bit later about the income insurance and emergency funds. But an an emergency is not a holiday because we can plan for that. An emergency is not a lounge because you save up for that. Emergency isn't a new car. Emergency isn't new Bose headphones. Emergency is not a new pair of jeans. So if we can plan for it and we know it's going to happen, like I know I'll want a holiday one day. So I need to plan for that. Uh, So we just need to be really clear on what is and what isn't an emergency. And I honestly think if you can just go, if it's not in my budget or in the Glenn James spending plan or something like that, it's probably can be put down as an emergency. So where do I keep my emergency fund? Well, this is a common question. And I think I'll take this chance now to go into the Facebook group and uh, read some of your responses. So thanks for sending me that in. Alison says, if you have a mortgage, should it be kept in your offset account or redraw facility? Now, if you want to know what an offset account is, there'll be a link below. It will take you to a blog just to explain that. I would first and foremost say on the redraw facility, I would caution doing that. And the reason why, it's just more of a handshake agreement that if you're in excess on your mortgage, the bank will let you redraw that. That's all it is. We know through the uh, coronavirus pandemic when the crap hit the fan, there were some bank products and older products that actually in their fine print says at any time for whatever reasons, because that is actually a mortgage product that you've signed the liability for, the bank can actually evaporate that redraw credit if they need it for funding within the business. So there's less control by having the emergency fund in the redraw facility. So I would caution doing that. Uh, Offset, you've got a little bit more protection, but I'm sure there would be fine print in bank accounts where they could probably go into the offset account and get money. Um, No, in bank mortgages that they could go into the offset account and get money for whatever reason. So you just have to be cautious that the redraw, yes, you could be in credit and redraw tomorrow, but in the, if the worst case happened, like something happened last year, um, heaps of people got laid off and the world stood still. Yeah, coronavirus, right? So if the worst case happened, you got laid off and the bank tightened the thresholds around the offset facility, that money might not be there. So I would caution that. Me personally, I've got my emergency fund. I used to have it in a separate account, but as I got better with keeping my mitts off my own money and all that, it actually sits on a separate offset account that's just emergency. So that's that's probably what I would say on the mortgage offset thing. Let's have a look at some other questions here. Julia says, what's the best place to put an emergency fund so it's easy access if you need it, but you don't dip into it if you don't need it? So that's the whole mental game of out of sight, out of mind. So for me, my offset account and my mortgage It's on my St. George internet banking. I don't have the St. George app on my phone. Uh, I log into it maybe once every three weeks if I've got a check or pay a a bill out of my cash hub. So it's it's not as if I can can be at the shop one day and go, oh, I need to buy that new thing and just transfer money out of my emergency fund. It just doesn't happen. Uh, So I would say maybe a separate savings account 
with a different banking institution that is not on your phone, you don't regularly go into the internet banking, and it's genuinely out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and we will get into the details around the where to invest it um, to get a higher return on the actual emergency fund. I might just actually go right into some of these different questions here. What's considered an emergency to actually use the money? Phoebe said that, uh, which I think I covered that. Oh, she actually, um, Isabel added to that. She's like, yes, this. If I take my car in for a service and it needs X part replaced, does that count? So I think with our general budget, some of this car servicing stuff, I believe you might want to just over the year, so I want to, over the year say, I want to allocate maybe $1,000 for car maintenance stuff or whatever that is. So I would generally say, unless it's like, oh, hey, Glenn, your gearbox in the range is rooted, uh, you need $3,000. Well, I think that's an emergency. But if it's like, hey, you know, we had to do the spark plugs, it's an extra $200 or whatever that is, I think in that case, that's more of a cash flow thing. So, you know, whatever that's worth. Uh, thanks for writing in, Isabel and Phoebe. Lawrence says, is it okay to have a bare minimum emergency fund, say three months and throw the rest into ETFs and micro investments? Well, I think three months worth of expenses, that's fine. If you're self-employed, uh, that's a judgment call. Like we're all adults, you need to make that call. Uh, the problem with uh, investing your emergency fund, and I saw another question here, from Anthony, what are your thoughts on an emergency fund being in an investment account like Ray's or any of the micro investing stuff so you can earn something while it sits there or similar investment where cash can be pulled out in under one week? Well, the reason I like a different bank account out of sight, out of mind is because we can get that money within one day. You know, new payments platform, OSCO with all the banks and all that stuff the emergency fund, it's an insurance policy. So if you had an emergency during COVID and the stock market had tanked 36%, that is the worst time on the planet to be withdrawing money. So market corrections happen all the time. So what we need to do, if you had a $10,000 emergency fund, Nate, are you able to throw me a calculator? Thanks, Nate, for all your help. Oh, there we go. And I'll do some quick maths. So if you had a $10,000 emergency fund and say that we invested it for, I don't know, 6.5%, which is of course $650. So let's write, let's remember $650. I'll walk you through these maths. 6.5%. Now, if we had it invested in a bank account and we were only getting 1% interest, so $100, the difference is $550 a year, right, on that emergency fund. So what we're saying is the emergency fund is an insurance policy to stop the worst case happening. And in this scenario, to have that money at call. So in the money world, when we have something at call, it means we can just call on it straight away, it's liquid. The reason that it's an insurance policy is for that year, that loss in interest, even if it was $500 a year, a loss in investment return is the insurance premium that we are paying. Because when the emergency happened, 
the investment account might not be up six or seven percent. It might not be up 10%. It could be down minus 5%. So we just want to know in our mind, having an emergency fund is an insurance policy and the premium for having that money out of the market is the difference between the interest that we earn or the investment return that we can get. I don't know why I needed the calculator on $10,000, um, but hey, we're here now. Oops. So that's why I think the best free lunch you can get with your emergency fund is to have it on an offset account, possibly, if you can keep your mitts off it, if there aren't too many fees associated with your bank. Otherwise, online bank over there, yeah, I'll take my 1%, forget about it. So that's a really good uh, set of questions. Yeah, Dana asks, how to not feel guilty about using emergency funds for an actual emergency? That's, I think you need to know, this is what we train for. It's like we, <laughs> we went into training, we, we did all the drills. It's okay to pull out the guns now and start shooting the enemy. I don't know, that's a bad example, but you know what I mean? Like, I think you need to really understand that it's okay to, to use that money. Now, if you've got an income protection policy with a 30-day waiting period, which is obviously one month, I, this is real talk, guys. I've had clients in the past that have had an income protection policy that will replace their income if they can't work after 30 days and after 90 days, so three months. So one would suspect if I had a 30-day waiting period on my income insurance policy, would I only need a one-month emergency fund buffer? The short answer is probably no, because in insurance land, it's going to take two months before you get the, the first claim payment, possibly. And there could be other medical expenses or a situation that you can't claim on your income protection, like if you'd lost your job because income protection is for accident or illness only. So don't think that because I've got my income protection, I don't really need an emergency fund because your income protection isn't going to work if the cat needs a $5,000 liver transplant. The income protection isn't going to work if my ranger needs a gearbox that's $4,000, all right? So we need to just know the emergency fund. It's just a separate separate insurance policy. Now, for those that have a three-month cash buffer or a six-month cash buffer, you might be thinking, oh, should I move my income protection waiting period to three months? So basically, I only claim on my income protection if I can't work for after three months. Now, hand on heart, every client that I've had an income protection claim for with a three-month waiting period, once we've put the claim in, they have asked me, can I change my waiting period back to 30 days? Because if someone can't work because they're sick and unwell, that three months is a bloody long time. I would only usually suggest a three-month waiting period if you did have significant wealth in your life or if uh, you had extended long service leave if you worked for the government for a million years or if you uh, had a heap of sick days, like six months worth of sick days. But please don't take any direct financial advice or indirect financial advice 
from a podcast or a YouTube or any of that stuff, speak to your financial advisor about your income protection waiting period. So that's just all to say, I would still have a fully funded emergency fund if I've got an income protection policy being three months or 30 days. Uh, Kate, thanks for writing. She asked, how do you know when it's enough? Well, I think you need to work that out um, based on what I've said. Jess Pearson, member of my team. I don't know why she's not at work, given it's a work day and she's on Facebook. Where to store it and get the best return while it's not being used? So again, the emergency fund is not about getting a return. It's about a safety policy. Isabel has another question. Once an emergency fund has taken a hit, how much should I prioritise to building it back up again? Should I stop putting money in my other savings and then or investing and then build it up. So that's an awesome question. So what I would probably suggest is, you got your fully funded emergency fund. So you might have an emergency of $2,000, you've paid that. Now your emergency fund is $2,000 less. What do you do? So if you are saving for a holiday or you're investing, you'd put all that stuff on pause, top the emergency fund up, then resume your saving or investing. You're a big boy or gal, so you can work out whether you're stopping any short-term goals, you might be saving for that holiday or new lounge, or do I stop my salary sacrifice, the super, or do I stop my investing? That's up to you to manage, but we put everything on pause, and it might be we put everything on pause, top the emergency fund up, then we resume. I'd probably actually do that more than I think about it. Now, if you are just getting started, I want to acknowledge that Saving your emergency fund could be the biggest thing that you've ever saved. And it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it because you'll have such a sense of achievement that you've saved your emergency fund and now you can start building your financial life. If you're in consumer debt or any type of debt like credit cards, personal loans, I'm probably not too concerned about the car debt because I don't know, it's I don't know, you can make this judgment, but ordinarily, if you're getting started on your financial journey, I want you to pause any extra debt repayments, I want you to pause any investing, I want you to pause any saving for a holiday, focus on getting a $2,000 emergency fund set up. Once you've got that $2,000, then I want you to attack all your debt and still not investing, just debt. Then once you've completed your debt, I then want you to use all that money that you're pumping on your debt into your emergency fund to get that up to your target. Then once you've got your emergency fund, then you should start investing in my view. Again, that's the best practice idea. I think that covers everything in terms of emergency fund. Uh, It's quite boring, but once you really nail that first big chunk of your financial foundation, you'll feel so great. And I really want to encourage you, we as a group of uh, people in the M3 Facebook group, we are totally with you on building your emergency fund journey. And there's no right or wrong. I think there's just what works for you, but just have some logic behind it. Anyway, maybe in the comments below, let me know what you're doing with your emergency fund because I think as a community, we can all read. So either in the comments below or in the Facebook group, whatever you want, I would just really encourage you to um, to let us know because you need some encouragement. Uh, there was a question there about 
buying a house and should we save for emergency fund than our house deposit? Look, best practice is yes, because you don't want to move into a house with no cash savings because you could settle on a house tomorrow and the hot water system might break and we don't want you to have to run back into debt. Uh, is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Yes. Thank you so much for listening, watching. Uh, you can hang out in the Facebook group or on Instagram and you can leave a comment in the details below here on YouTube or if you are listening on the podcast, let us know in the Facebook group. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you so much. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.